Hidden Yardage Podcast on a Monday when training camp opens in Oxnard, California for the Dallas Cowboys. I'm Mark Lane. You can follow me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. And with me, Sean Martin, as always. You can find him on Twitter at Sean Martin. Sean, we made it! We did, and for the first time in Hidden Yardage history, I had to check out Zoom link very carefully before coming in. You know, we had this secret Austin Echo organized from the Chargers running back meeting. They're trying to figure out, you know, how running backs can find value, and I thought I was going to accidentally, you know, click my way into that if I wasn't careful, so it's good to hear your voice and not uh, one of several what we feel like are disenfranchised running backs around the uh, NFL right now, including, though, a report came out that I saw this morning before a recording, the uh, including Cowboys franchise tagged running back Tony Pollard. So he was on there hanging out with, uh, like I said, Austin Eckler, the organizer of it, and also Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, who we talked about last week, and a couple other running back names as well. Yeah, and that's an interesting subject unto itself, is how you could have a mini-union form with the running backs in the NFL. Um but, yeah, that's very interesting. I think it was one of the Barstool guys suggested, and this will never happen. You know, a lot of the ideas Barstool folks out there aren't meant to be taken seriously to the point of, you know, them expecting it to happen. But it was interesting to think about. He said maybe running backs need to just, you know, have an exemption as a position coming out of the college ranks to basically just automatically be free agents. And you can't, you can't draft them and then start the cycle that every team is taking advantage of where – you get them on a rookie contract, you're paying them a low salary, then you franchise tag them and you get to keep them down there, and then you know, you're done with them. They start as free agents and get to negotiate their way into the league, and that way, you know, whatever contract they come up with, by the time it comes up, they're not feeling like they're already done for and been used and run into the ground by that team. It might come up early enough where they can go be a free agent again, and then they'll get a second contract. So I found that very interesting. Yeah, and you could also have with them in the NIL and how that plays in, and that would create more of a free agent market. Yeah, just a matter of the position being so versatile. I mean, we're so close to college football at this point. I can't wait for that, too. And, you know, you, you turn on any college game and you're seeing backs have to do it all. You know, they're so dynamic, and whether or not at the NFL level to get asked to do quite as much just depends on the scheme they go to. and you know, their skill level and all that. But in the college game, I mean, just watch an entire drive and keep your eyes on nothing but the running back. I know that's hard and you're going to want to, you know, watch the quarterback. and But just watch the running back on every snap if you can. And they do so much and every given down, catching the ball, blocking, lining up the receiver, all those types of things. So, you know, if you, if you are going to talk about making that type of exemption for a position, it's like, well, he slapped RB on his name, and now he's going to make more than any other rookie, but he's also playing some receiver, and you, know, you open up a can of worms that way. Right, and with that, you would get a situation, I think, where running backs are kind of a uh, college-less, league-less position that kind of is almost like the way non-governmental organizations can operate on an international level, um, you would kind of have basically running backs be the sports equivalent of an NGO where their timeline, their goals begin in college and they're trying to make their most money 
during the college in the first four years of their NFL contract, and then they're out of it. And if that kind of thing would happen, I mean, Emmett Smith's rushing record would be preserved for all time. Oh, no doubt. I mean, you know what we need? Do you remember when Madden used to have the like little training camp drills, and one of them was like a little shortened field where they would put a bunch of cones up, and you, you're only playing like basically within the tackle box, and it would be a running drill, and you had to make one move to get past the defender, and then you would go score on the skinny field. We need just like a league for that, you know, and you can run it in the off season when we're all starved for football. You know, that time is quickly coming to an end as you hit on, hit on off the open. But yeah, we need just a skinny field running back drill, and you know, make a new sport for him, and we can watch that. Yes, and everybody would watch that in the off season, and the off season, of course, I feel like is one of the areas where the Dallas Cowboys have improved under Mike McCarthy and why I think the Joneses sprung for him after Jason Garrett's contract expired is because look at how uh, how fewer disruptions there have been in Mike McCarthy off-seasons compared to Jason Garrett's off-seasons. I'm talking suspensions. Talking player availability issues, uh, departures, continuity of roster, and just the overall carrying of momentum that McCarthy has been able to do. I would say even after the 2020 season, he was able to carry some of that momentum that the team forged near the end. And that's what I think has to be the most optimistic part about Mike McCarthy and the 2023 campaign is what the Cowboys have been able to maintain in terms of optimism and forward direction. Yeah, it's been pretty amazing, you know, just how quickly Cowboys fans have tried to slap the, you know, hot seat tag on McCarthy and accelerating all these expectations and he's still been able to just do this thing at his own pace and you know there's no doubt this is a very critical year for him coming into it and we'll get his opening remarks at training camp and all that pretty soon but yeah they tried to ramp up you know just how much he had to do in a short period of time but yeah you look at the continuity of the offseason it's a huge selling point for how he's been able to build some longevity here and the way that that has stabilized you know his first offseason being the COVID year and how difficult that was and being very open about how difficult it was to, you know, go through the installs and the defense struggling under Mike Nolan so much that year and all the things that, you know, every team didn't deal with on the same type of level. You know, teams that already had an established head coach in place during the COVID year certainly had an advantage to ones that were trying to do something new like the Cowboys were at that time with McCarthy. And then, and then you move on to a much more normal offseason. And now at this point, you know, we're going into a second straight camp of this team being off 12 wins. And it's one of the quietest late-ins I can remember. Even during the year and leading up to the draft, the building stays pretty quiet as far as, you know, leaks and things that come out and playing their hand to the media and hurting them in a perspective of, you know, how the rest of the league and the coaches see them. So, yeah, there's a lot of little things and stability-wise that this team can be praised for that, you know, fans might not realize that the Joneses are really valuing. And like I said, I think we're really seeing it in the lead up to this year's camp 
which is now upon us when it comes to, you know, just how quiet it's been. Certainly hasn't been quiet as far as what they're doing on the field. You know, we're going to go see Brandon Cooks. We're going to see Stephon Gilmore. So those are huge acquisitions that can help them keep that focus right where it needs to be, which is the on-field performance and product. But yeah, the lead-in has been as quiet as ever. It's been a nice change of pace. Quiet can be good. And, you know, we've been not grasping at stars to come up with stuff to talk about, but we've been, you know, looking to other sporting events and passing the time in any way that we know how because we're used to having other Cowboys things to talk about even when the on-field isn't happening. And now, thanks to McCarthy, that really hasn't been the case. And I think it that's the case for, for the better and for this team to continue to be a contender, which they really haven't done. You know, 12 wins in back-to-back years was unheard of in the Jason Garrett era. And just around the league, kind of the type of team that the NFL as an organization strives to have. It's kind of unheard of, unless you truly are one of those elite teams. And I don't see the Cowboys being talked about as one of the elite teams too much right now, but I also think that in and of itself can be a good thing. You know, I don't think McCarthy is going to be that flashy head coach up there at this point welcoming, you know, why don't we get our respect, pound the table, we're one of the best teams in the league, let the play do its talking. They know the hurdle that's in front of them as far as being eliminated by the same team two years in a row. So they know they have that carrot to chase early in the year when the 49ers game comes up on prime time and the work that needs to go into between then and now is being done by really good core veteran players that McCarthy has kept around. So, yeah, there's a lot of really good things to say about how he's managed the roster and expectations and the offseason. And hopefully it comes to a head this season um, you know, to get him the success he needs to continue to see out this plan that he's put in place. Right. That's what I'm saying is you can tell that it's like there's a plan and he does acknowledge how, yeah, they're separate seasons, but past his prologue. It never really seemed to be that way with Jason Garrett. He would just take each year as a time, each day as a time, be great today. And yeah, it would build into completing the objective of off-season workouts, training camp, regular season, postseason. But it after Dallas was bounced from the playoffs, you could never take that momentum and carry it over into the next year. So you know, then that's why Dallas would make the playoffs this year, miss this year, then the next year they'd be back in it. It was largely due to being unable to sustain that momentum. Now, the first three eight and eight years, I think, are kind of their own entity. You can kind of set them to the side, but when they made the playoffs in 2014 and then going into the 2015 offseason, you know, they needed help uh, with pass rush. They sought to address it, but you had the suspensions on defense that affected Dallas's ability to, you know, really have something to balance the offense. You also had injuries, of course, with Tony Romo during the season. I'm sure that'll derail it. 
But in 16, when they reestablished the momentum, you still had suspensions. I'm not even talking about Ezekiel Elliott. Um, you know, you had Randy Gregory still with what was going on with this situation. You had these disruptions, and there just never was that continuity of momentum. You would get the momentum in the beginning, you know, of the year. You'd carry it through, and then it was just lost. Like, as soon as the new league year kicked off in March, Dallas was scrambling to try to have any momentum, any positive, uh, you know, direction heading into that given season. But it's not been that way with McCarthy. Um, I think Dallas has had uh, stable off seasons, counting this one and counting 22 as well. I know in 22, you had Leo Collins, uh, he got released, and Mari Cooper got traded. They're dumb. Can't believe they took Tyler Smith. But there wasn't any real off-field drama to just impact the cohesion and the eye on the prize. And I think that that is why they favored McCarthy is he's been able to keep that continuity of forward momentum. Yeah, that's so well said on, you know, the comparisons to the Garrett era because, you know, we do collectively give the Cowboys a pass, it seems, on the whole not being consistent enough to, you know, regularly win the division, which should be your first goal every year because we just file it under this quirky, oh, well, the NFC East never has a repeat winner and, you know, you know what you're signing up for. It's like, well, that's, that's kind of garbage looking back on it, you know. The team was good enough to be that consistent threat to win the division. So just because this quirk, you know, exists that usually it doesn't happen in the NFCs doesn't mean that you can't or you shouldn't expect your coach to do better and be good enough to buck that and have a team that can go do so. You know, you, know, you start with the eight and eight years and the pro Jason Garrett's been to put on those years that came out of him was that he inherited a veteran roster and an old roster and was able to turn it into one of the youngest in the league. But, you know, then the question becomes even more so, well, if you had this young contending roster, well, then especially why couldn't they win the division in back-to-back years and take momentum from year to year? That's, you know, the peak of when your teams be able to do that is when you have a young core. Now under McCarthy, I mean, he also inherited a good amount of veteran players. And what did they do to address it? They had, you know, the most panic-induced offseason that I can ever remember as a Cowboys fan, where we all threw our hands up and said, there's no idea, you know, they, have, they officially have no idea what they're doing. It's panic mode. But they had this panic offseason of, you know, moving on from players who were pretty established here, like Lyle Collins and, you know, Mari Cooper was prior to that. But it all piled up and into an offseason where we didn't think they knew what they were doing. And almost to a man, every single player that they moved on from, their replacement, you know, the, the plan that they had worked out. And, they proved that they had a vision for this. And so he did the same thing that Garrett did in a way that actually springboarded them forward to go win the division more consistently, be, you know, be a consistent threat in the playoffs. And that's where we're at now trying to um, 
pushed deeper into the playoffs if a roster that still has its young core in place. Some players still here from the Garrett era, of course, you know, most notably having Dak Prescott is the reason you're a contender in the first place, but a lot of this core has been built by and established by McCarthy, and he's here to see it out. Yeah, Sean, and going back to what you were talking about with, the, oh, the NFC doesn't have a repeat division champion. Oh, what a tough division or whatever. Um, while true, the NFC East has had um, eight teams that have repeated as playoff qualifiers. Um, and the Cowboys have only been two of those teams. The Giants and the Eagles have been the Giants have three, Eagles have three in terms of repeating as playoff qualifiers. And so that's, like I said, much gets made about winning in the division, but I think just getting into the dance should count for something. And Dallas is finally back doing that, something which the Giants and the Eagles were doing. Um, you know, in the throughout the 2000s. By the way, that's how the Giants got one of their Super Bowl champions. I mean, wins was in 07. Well, were they repeating as playoff qualifiers? And they followed that up in 08. Yeah, certainly got to be in the dance to have a shot at it. And you know, other sports, that's more evident as far as you expect, you know, RC to be able to make a run or Cinderella teams and March Madness and things like that. The NFL, you know, we kind of know how it's going to get narrowed down. And at that point, do you, you know, want to be in the dance or do you want the draft pick? You know, this, this Cowboys team is never going to, you know, play to the media for draft picks and say that that's what, you know, the season is for. And they hope to qualify for the playoffs, especially, you know, if the court they have in place and the precedent that McCarthy just has put in place that you outlined there where, they can now expect these players to be in the postseason. You know, I know now Colorado head coach Deion Sanders got some heat recently for a comment about, you know, the the go-to uh, thing that we do in the media. If you need a quote, just ask a former Cowboys player, you know, why the current team isn't like the championship teams in the 90s with a player that was on those 90s teams, Deion being one of them, of course. Ask them and, you know, print the quote and you're in good shape that way for clicks and hits and all that. But... Sanders was asked about it and said he just doesn't see, you know, the core of players that can get it done in crunch time and they're not clutch and things, you know, things of that nature. And it's like, well, to that tune, then playoff experience does matter. You know, I know it's kind of a buzz thing of does it matter, does it not? Does playing in the postseason consistently mean anything for, you know, being able to actually go on and win? Or is there, you know, this magic bullet theory of, you know, you could just make it one time and have as good of a chance as anybody? So I think. To that tune, though, playoff experience does matter if you're going to believe, you know, what Dion says about these players just not being battle-tested enough in the playoffs to come up with those big wins, and certainly... And one area where the core is kind of getting affected is with Zach Martin. Uh, He's really doing something I never thought 
I'd see him do, which is he's, you know, threatening to hold out in training camp just to make a statement about his contract. And I say that only because when he was working on his extension, when he was entering the final year of his rookie contract, he felt bad that he was sitting out of OTAs. You know, he wanted to be out there. He uh, didn't want to let business get in the way of football. But now you kind of see the um, – you see it change a little bit for Martin entering 2023 training camp. Yeah, this one was interesting to, you know, look into. And I wasn't all that familiar with his contract figures and what they're looking at here. But the timing of it is so interesting because – you know, he signed a six-year six extension back in 2018. That was for $84 million. So it runs through right now to 2024 season and making about $14 million a year. That's ninth among interior offensive linemen. So, of course, you know, surface level, we know that that's roughly where he ranks, you know, in the league, top 10. Oh, that's not bad. He's where he, where he belongs. But we know play-wise as well, he's more than just top 10. He's, you know, easily top five, probably top two, and you can make a case for one, you know, right up there with – the Quentin Nelsons of the world and all that. But then you look at who else is in that top nine with him at the highest paid guards in the league. And it certainly only helps his case as far as guys that he should be ahead of. I mean, Crystal Enstrom from the Falcons is at 20 and a half million a year. There is Quentin Nelson just below him with the Colts for 20 million a year. Elton Jenkins with the Packers, 17. Brandon Surf, Jaguars, 16 and a half. Joe Batonio, Cleveland, 16. Joe Fooney with the Chiefs, also at 16. Jason Kelsey in the NFC East there with the Eagles, 14 and a quarter. And Wyatt Teller, also at 14.2 million with the Browns. You have other teams in there like the Chiefs and the Browns who have, you know, double represented on that list and have invested in caring about the offensive line. But the Cowboys are at the forefront of doing so. Martin just wasn't, you know, up for a contract yet because he came in and made it a point where the, you know, the line was already established and he was just an immediate contributor to that as a first-round pick out of Notre Dame. So yeah, it comes up as such an, an interesting point because you think about Martin just now is saying that you know he's been previously underpaid and wants to remedy this. And other than the most recent Dak Prescott extension, I mean, maybe I'm missing one, but what are the big contracts that the Cowboys really had come up that you know, really held them under the gun and have they really had to get done um, that have been stressful and, you know, eating up a lot of the cap. Other than Prescott, they haven't necessarily had any in these past couple of years. But now this offseason, that's flipped on its head. I mean, R.J. Ochoa covered this. It's been covered other times with Blogging the Boys. You can read all about it. CDLM, Trayvon Diggs, Micah Parsons. Those are huge names you're going to be hearing a ton of all throughout training camp, not just because of what they're doing on the field, but because of their pending contract situations. And then down the road, we'll talk about Pollard. And I mean, so now it's stacked against them to the point where they could have easily gotten something done with Martin before they even had some of these players and set a good precedent for them that, oh, good players here, Hall of Fame level players get taken care of. But now you, know, you better believe these other players are going to watch how the Martin situation gets handled, knowing that how much he's meant to the team and how well he's played. And they're going to have a very close eye on if the Cowboys make right by one of their, you know, best interior offensive linemen of all time, 
to do the same for some other skill positions and these other big name players. So the timing is very interesting. Certainly we all know that Martin is one of the best players at his position in the league and deserves to be paid just like it. I think it could also be writing on the wall for Martin. I think he looks at the situation and, you know, sees all these young contracts coming up and he probably wants to ensure that he can get his money now as opposed to just writing out this contract that over the years until it you know expires is just going to keep winning for the Cowboys but it's a loser for him in terms of his placement among his peers who frankly may not be any better than him at all. Yeah, there's been a lot of kicking things down the road from what I've read about his contract. I'm not the salary cap expert here, but you know, a lot of kicking things down the road and using void years to move things around. But, you know, like I said, what's the what was the point of that? You know, you had an opportunity for him to just be the clear best player that was ready for an extension and get that done, but I don't really know. It's hard to think of besides Prescott who took precedent over getting stuff done of Zach Martin and now you know, it's almost like this popped up out of nowhere. We've been talking about, like I said, I am Diggs and Parsons, and now it's like, oh, your Hall of Fame right guard needs a restructure and needs money as well. So, you know, somehow, some way, they're going to have to make this all work if they want to keep the championship core intact. He's 32 years old, turns 33 on November 20th. Um, he's entering his 10th season in the league. Uh, this could also just maybe kind of be a to get out of a little bit of training camp, too. It could be, but yeah, I think this offensive line, the way that you have to go through OTAs now without being able to do you know, any hitting at all, it's not, that's not a drastic change from how it used to be, but it used to be at least you know, an inkling of some contact from offensive line, and now it's like they just sew up and put their hands up like a you know traffic cop and then go home. So, you know, I think this offensive line's ready to play some football and, you know, yeah, you could be smart about how you manage Martin and give him some veteran days, but at least have him out there. I think that's what the Cowboys would prefer as opposed to, you know, using this as a way to get out of practice. Have him out there with his teammates, out there in the California sun, talking to fans, over by defense, whatever, if you're really, if you're really worried about, you know, him being in too many drills, but not having some type of contract dispute. Well, I don't think it's going to be, you know, this huge public thing, and it's not, you know, one of those money positions, if you will, but it's still going to be something that we have to talk about aside from, the action on the field, which is never great. Yeah, and that'll definitely be one of the subjects of conversation during the, you know, the debut of the big three at the tennis courts at Oxford. But uh, if today you saw Zach Martin writing you a, tra- a uh, you know, parking ticket, what what would you do? I would hope uh, my Zach Martin jersey was in the car and show it to him. And if that doesn't get me out of the ticket, I don't know what does because. I'm a proud uh, number 70 namesake Martin Jersey owner. Yeah, yeah, if that doesn't do it well, you know, you're in trouble. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey. 
instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What, um, what position group do you think is going to really tell the tale of training camp when the, when, when it all gets started? What's the one position group battle early on that will tell the tale of how this training camp and maybe this team is forged? I think it's wide receiver, you know, it depends how you, how you fall on some of these down the roster guys, but early in the off season, one of the stories of it was, you know, Jalen Tolbert's progressing. That's all good and great. And what level, to what extent we should all buy back into Jalen Tolbert is up for a whole lot of debate. It's been a round table discussion that I was on. It's, you know, it's out there how we all currently feel about Jalen Tolbert, but I said, we just put that on hold and, you know, see how he performs on the field in the heat of training camp and, you know, padded practices and full 11 on 11s, things like that. So I think it's receiver because if he does show something, then it's legitimate to think that his team actually has finally prioritized, you know, what they have in the past catching room around Dak Prescott and they're going to make Mike McCarthy's new offense work. And there could be some legitimate excitement that this offense can be consistent and explosive and, all the things you need to beat and go contend in the playoffs and not go out on another clunker on that side of the ball. If Tolbert, and it's you know more than warranted to feel this way even after a strong offseason, if Tolbert falls back into you know pretty much being the same player he was last year, which is a non-factor, then it might, we might be right here saying that they still didn't do enough. You know, Brandon Cooks is going to contribute and make plays. I think he's a veteran that we can comfortably say that about, but just having him isn't enough when you look at what else you have, you know, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup coming back another year removed from the injury. That could be a big step. But beyond that, it's still semi Fajoko, Kevontae Turpin trying to carve out some type of niche on the offensive side of the ball. And not just special teams, Dennis Houston, Ontario Drummond, John Stevens Jr., Jalen Moreno-Cropper, Jose Barbone, Jalen Brooks, your seventh-round pick, David Durden, and Tyron Johnson. So beyond what you know you have established, there's not a ton of names that jump off the page for, you know, this really being a dominant and established receiver group. And Jalen Tolbert holds the key to that. Trying to find some role for Turpin is the key to that. 
and Michael Gallup would be the third key to having him healthy. But all that put together is a lot of, you know, hoping for things that haven't been proven yet and kind of, you know, fantasy land type uh, projection for these players where you really need a lot of things to, to go your way to show that this receiving room is that much improved. So I think that's the position to watch to see if this thing is actually going to be um, an offense that can establish itself near the top of the league, which is where McCarthy's Green Bay offenses usually found themselves. And if they can do the same here, it's going to take, you know, a pretty good showing early on and consistently throughout camp in the preseason for these pass catchers out wide. I'm going to go with tight end because you had Dalton Schultz, who was the veteran, your TE1, getaway in free agency. You drafted a second rounder in Luke Schoonmaker. You have Jake Ferguson, Peyton Endershot entering their second seasons with the team. You've also got Sean McKeon. And you've basically got a young, inexperienced tight end room. Now, you saw what happened with that in 2018 when they, you know, Witten retires out of nowhere. They draft Dalton Schultz round four, day three. Um, you know, so you. St- that was really the only other time where Dallas just had inexperienced tight ends. And you see them rolling this way in 2023. If they're not able to really get a, you know, a starter atop the depth chart, I think that it will really impact some of their run blocking and their pass blocking. And that could be why, uh, you know, you see Dallas looking to see if they've got maybe their own version of Aaron Ripkowski or John Kuhn in the backfield um, with their flirtation. So uh, that's why I think tight end is really going to show where the Cowboys are at now. In 2003, Dallas had a veteran that they signed uh, in Dan Campbell. Uh, Yes, coach of the Lions, who had experience in – uh, Sean Payton's offense. He's offensive coordinator for the New York Giants. They also drafted in the third round Jason Witten, and it didn't take long for Witten to surpass Campbell in his rookie year. Uh, you really just kind of have a bunch of young guys fighting it out for that. Uh, TE1, and I don't know that there's really anybody that you can lean back on to have the same starter level veteran presence. So that's why tight end, I think, is uh, really going to be a position that could kind of tell the tale of the team. 
Yeah, I'm surprised neither of us went with, you know, any of these very public, uh, you know, talks that they've had about the offensive line and the suffering going on there. I'm surprised none of us went with any of the position battles and offensive line, which is, you know, there's not a ton of true starting jobs up for grabs at this team, but left guard, you know, is certainly one of them. And the rest are kind of, you know, on the fringes of, you know, position groups where it's a pontoon and snaps are going to be divided up and there's rotations and things like that of that nature. So surprised none of us went with the offensive line. My reasoning for that, and I'd be interested to hear yours, is something that I wrote about a while back when McCarthy was first announced as the new play caller. You know, certainly you still need to pass protect. I'm not saying that, you know, his offense is future armor has eliminated the need for, you know, pass protecting and he's going to be, you know, the next best thing. But I just think in Kellen Moore's offense, we saw when they were at their best, the ball was coming out of Prescott's hand so quickly. And then as they started to struggle, he was holding on to it and that put a strain on pass protection to the extent that, you know, it was more on him and the scheme than it was just the offensive line suddenly forgetting what they were doing earlier in the year. They had, you know, the players in place, it was just a scheme. I think in this West Coast influence type of offense, you know, the ball's going to be coming out of Prescott's hands consistently at that speed and at that rate, and you know, he's going to have more dynamic checkdown options as far as getting the ball and being able to flip it to Pollard or these tight ends even. You know, that's where they're going to have to prove themselves the most. So, again, you're not completely writing off the need to pass protect. You still better be able to do it, but I think, you know, Prescott's ability to make a guy miss and be mobile, paired with the ability to also just get the ball out of his hands, is going to diminish kind of these long, you know, pass snaps that you need in these long sets, and it's going to help get through some growing pains that you might have when you try to figure out what your best pass protecting offensive line is going to be. Well, I didn't go with offensive line just because I don't know that there's a battle per se. Depth, that's a different story. But in terms of an actual battle for a starting job or for snaps, I don't really see it. Yeah, it's just that guard spot potentially, but you know, we're going to see Tyron Smith, you know, of course, training camp, so he got hurt last year, so we'll have to be careful with it, but we're going to see Tyron Smith out there, and so if he's out there, it should be at his natural position of left tackle, and that leads you to finally putting Tyler Smith in there at left guard, so that's how they can start out, and, you know, from there, you you do immediately jump into then the competition and the intrigue being for the depth spots and not any of the starting spots along the way. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's go ahead and Get to the Cowboys' birthdays. Sean, uh, Wednesday's really stacked. You got Mr. Cowboy Bob Lilly turns 84. He's the team's first ever draft pick in 1961. No, I did not get that wrong. And he played through 1974 at defensive tackle. I mean, Hall of Famer. Uh, Wednesday, Lyle Collins turns 30. Uh, he played with Dallas from 2015 to 2021. And again, uh, you know, this may be why Zach Martin's trying to get his money here because Collins was a key part of that offensive line, and now he's not. Uh, they released him last offseason, and he signed with the Bengals. Also on Wednesday, Xavier Woods turns 28 years old to uh, a uh, safety from Louisiana Tech played with Dallas from 2017 to 2020. Another one of those late round finds that uh, the Cowboys have been able to 
cultivate under Will McClay. And then on Saturday, Dak Prescott turns 30 years old. And uh, he's just been the Cowboys' go-to under center since week one, 2016. Will he get it done this year? That's what everybody's wondering. But uh, all of the memes say that he's leading the league in interceptions already, and that's all that counts. And those are your Cowboys' birthdays. <laughs> Well, you know, we started our off-season run of podcast talking about, you know, some, some of Prescott's comments a couple of weeks back of at his camp and things like that. And the sense of urgency is what stood out to both of us and realizing that. And, you know, yeah, we could talk for hours until we're out of breath about how he's, you know, matured beyond his years and has played that way and gone through more than other quarterbacks go through in their first couple of years in the league as far as change and all that. But, you know, to put a firm number on it, like 30, you know, of course, Tom Brady's the unicorn and the exception to how late he played, but every other quarterback in the universe and the history of this great game, you know, you can kind of follow the projection and what happens, you know, well into your 30s and, and early 40s if that, if that is to be for Dak Prescott. So, yeah, you know, we've only talked about it as kind of an idea and a concept as far as, you know, how much he has in the tank and how do you set, where the sense of urgency meter needs to be, but to put a hard number like 30 on it certainly brings it back to light and, you know, just shows that this could be a turning point type of year in his career and one where he establishes himself among the league best again. That's certainly the goal for McCarthy in installing this new offense and in protecting his own job security by, you know, having that strong quarterback and coach connection that teams are using to, you know, dominate this league right now. And if uh, McCarthy and Prescott can be that, then certainly that'll be a welcome sight. If these receivers step up and there's tight ends we just talked about step up and it all comes together for the year 30 season for starting quarterback Dak Prescott. All right. Do you think they put a good enough team around him right now on paper? To do what? Do you know what? <laughs> I mean, sure. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, yeah, I think the offense is, you know, the change in offense is going to be significant enough to where, yeah, I think they can make enough plays and CDLM could be more consistent as a wide receiver one. You know, those deep throws to him aren't going to be just kind of heat checks, you know, screw this. We need to, not keep throwing the ball into tight windows. I'm going to take a shot to my best player. They're going to come more naturally within the, the flow of the offense. The run game could be more dynamic of powered. So, yeah, I think the consistency could be there in offense. It's all going to come together in a, you know, fairy tale run this season. You know, most likely not. You know, of any 32 teams to pick from, it's hard to, you know, pinpoint one and say they're going to be there unless you're Mahomes and their Chiefs. So, yeah, is it all going to come together this year? Probably not. But I think a very strong foundation is going to be laid this year just as it has the past two. And that's not what fans want to hear because you would hope the back-to-back losses to the 49ers was the foundation to where we don't have to go through something like that again. But, you know, maybe in this case, hopefully that loss comes in the NFC Championship game or something along those lines. You can always say you took another step. But, yeah, it's going to happen this year. You know, that's hard to say, of course, for any team. But I do think the foundation and the benefit of going through another offseason with that continuity that we discussed with Mike McCarthy is going to lead to some big things for this team while Prescott is still here, and I think he's the guy to get it done. I think this is the year that the organization has put them in the scales, and we will find out if they are adequate or lacking in wanting. 
but everybody will catch up to that in 24 and, you know, say, oh, the hot seat. <laughs> I think, I think now, this year, in the organization, in the owner suite, this is the hot seat year because I think the production year determines how they're going to look at 2024 and 25 salary cap. Yeah, with the core that we talked about as far as, you know, do you want Lamb to be a part of it? Do you want Diggs, Parsons? You know, certainly the overwhelming answer is yes, if you're going to continue to want to contend. But if this team right here, this year, falls short by any stretch and is drastically underperforming, then it is time to start looking at, you know, just how much those players can be here long term enough to, you know, have to fix whatever went wrong this year and still stay in contention. So, you know, this team won't sigh away from making the cap work and opening up the checkbooks to, um, you know, continue to keep a window open if that window stays open this year. You know, what's behind you is behind you. You already said that. And those two losses to the 49ers are gone. They're dusted off. You've gleamed everything you could have possibly learned from them. And it's a matter of what happens going forward to really set the standard for what this team is going to be. All right. Well, we made it through the off season. I can't wait to have to interpret Jerry speak next week. Oh, no one does it better. So yeah, looking forward to that, the transcripts and the whole thing of, uh, Leading, in, leading into football season. It's so weird, though, as Cowboys fans, isn't it? Like, being this quiet going into it. You know, usually, like, you could just tell, you know, there's, like, a feel in the air and out there in public about, you know, football being here. And thanks to McCarthy or what have you, and the Cowboys, just, I'm not saying that they don't have that, that buzz and that their arrival to Oxnard won't be a big deal. Oh, that will still happen. But, you know, as they used to, you know, walk around a grocery store and you kind of would start to see the sights of, you know, people thinking about football again, either someone would stop you and talk about it or, you know, there'd be advertisements for it and with different products at the NFL, cross endorsers, you know, hasn't really happened yet. And it's not saying that people are not looking forward to football just yet because of it, but it's just a matter of they've been out of sight for the right reasons, the Cowboys. And because of that, it's been kind of a delayed build up to the true excitement for football. But yeah, it does feel like it's here and training camp is a huge, you know, part of the process. There we got the process. Now we're doing carrot talk. We better get out of here before we revert it, devolve any further. So there it is.